past week as I had wonderful times of quiet meditation for the Lord, day after day in my time of quietness before God, the words of Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30 just kept intruding on my thoughts, insisting to occupy my thinking. Come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn of me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. You know, as I thought about those words in that peaceful, serene mood (laughs) that comes upon us as we meditate on those words, I thought, well, they're so akin to what Jesus said to the disciples shortly before he was arrested. Peace I give you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Aren't those beautiful words? But they're more than beautiful words, aren't they? They're a promise. And they're a promise of peace and rest and care to all who will receive the giver of those words. And that's the key. You know, every time I think of those words in Matthew chapter 11, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, it is impossible for me to keep out of my mind the picture of Sandwich Fair in Sandwich, New Hampshire. Now, there are three sandwiches. There is Sitter Sandwich, North Sandwich, and Sandwich. And all three of these villages are named after the Earl of Sandwich by the English settlers who settled in that area, and they're three of the oldest villages in the United States. And every year in the week associated with Columbus Day, the annual Sandwich Country Fair is held, and I tell you, it is really a country fair. Some say it's the only one left in the United States. Whether or not that is, I suppose other country fairs would argue. But according to the people of Sandwich, it is the last truly country fair in the United States. Every year as Barbara and I visited New Hampshire during October, Wayne and Mary Taylor and Barbara and I on Columbus Day always went to the Sandwich Fair because you see everybody goes to the Sandwich Fair on Columbus Day. Everybody who's a member of Laconia Christian Fellowship, everyone who's a member of Cornerstone Christian Fellowship, everybody who's not a member of any fellowship. If you want to meet the mayor, if you want to meet the warden, if you want to meet the mechanics that you work with during the week, everybody is at the Sandwich Fair on Columbus Day. Great place to meet people. Now, when we enter the Sandwich Fair, very shortly, we come upon the arena where is held the oxen pull. I had never grown up around oxen. I grew up around horses. And so these oxen are very intriguing to me. By the way, do you know what an ox is? An ox is a castrated bull. I I didn't know that until I started going up there. But uh, here are these powerful beasts. Let me uh, 
Well, let me say this. Barbara and Wayne and Mary, after a short while of patiently watching these plodding animals wander off to the quilt uh, competition or the preserve competition or the cake baking competition or what else. But I always just stay and watch the oxen. They're so intriguing to me. Let me paint the picture. Far into the field, there are several yoke of oxen with their drovers. At the opposite end of the field, there's a pile of concrete blocks, and these are held together uh, in groups by bands of steel, each group weighing 300 pounds. And at a certain point, uh, the name of a drover is announced over the loudspeaker, and the drover ploddingly conducts his oxen toward that pile of concrete blocks. In front of them, there is a, is a steel sled made of sheet metal with a hook on the end, and a man in a hydraulic loader will pick up a certain number of these bands of blocks and place them on the sled. And then as the drover and his oxen approach the sled, he says, stop, and they stop. And then he says, turn, and through maneuvers, they turn. And then he says, back, and they take one step back. And, and an assistant grabs a chain that is attached to the yoke and hooks that to the hook on the sled. And then the drover says, pull. <laughs> and the oxen lean forward and just begin walking. And after they have pulled the load the required distance, the drover says, stop. And they stop. And he says, back. And they take a step back. The chain is unhooked. He walks off to the far end of the field. The oxen turn around and stand like statues as long as he has them do that. Then another group comes and does the same thing. As I've watched these every year, <laughs> this passage from Matthew 11 keeps going through my mind. And I watch the oxen and I watch the drovers and over and over and over again, spiritual lessons come to mind. This morning, I would like to use the ox pull at the sandwich fair as uh, somewhat of a theological paradigm, theological construct, if you would so choose to call it, to talk about the spiritual truths as we exegete to a degree this passage from Matthew chapter 11. First, let me say, in contrast to the oxen in this competition, the master in Matthew chapter 11 invites, perhaps implores us to take on the yoke. You see, the oxen in the ox pool have no choice. At some point in their life, their master decides whether they're going to be an ox or a bull. Bulls exist to breed. Oxen exist to work. They have no choice. And once he has decided that a bull becomes an ox, then he finds another ox that is of the same stature, height, and so on, and puts a yoke upon them and pairs them together, and the oxen has no choice with whom he is paired. And then he begins training them and training them and training them. But the animals have no choice. We have a choice. Jesus invites, come unto me. He um, 
implores, come unto me. God owns the world and everything and everyone in the world. And yet he still gives us that choice. God does not force us to put on the yoke. Now he may create circumstances. He may allow circumstances. He may do various things to move us toward taking on the yoke. But he never forces compliance. He invites. He implores. We pointed out some weeks ago in a sermon talking about the Christian's armor. Paul, talking about the helmet of salvation, says, take the helmet of salvation. And the picture there is someone who holds the helmet and holds it in front of the warrior and says, take it, but the warrior has to take it. The choice is always there. The Lord does not force anyone to take up his yoke. Sadly, the church has not always understood this. This past week I was reading about the life of Charlemagne. This guy, seven feet tall, big as well, flowing white hair, a man who, when he walked into the room, you respected him. And he became the emperor of this tremendous empire, the greatest empire since the Roman Empire. And he was very religious and very devoted to Christianity, and he converted the Germans with the sword. Not the way to do it. God does not coerce. By the way, Charlemagne also was illiterate, but he was dedicated to education. (laughs) Tried to learn to read. But sadly, the church has not always understood that it is not God's will for coercive methods to be used to bring people under the yoke. But there is an imploring, there is an invitation that comes through the gracious preaching of the gospel. But what the master does invite us to do is to take up his yoke. And it is a yoke. Those who accept his invitation become his possession. We come under his total authority. You know, the ox teams that really do a good job display absolute obedience to their master. When he says, walk, they walk. When he says, stop, they stop. When he says, back, they take one step back. When he says, turn, they turn. Now, it's interesting to see some drovers and teams that don't do that well. And when a drover brings his team up to the sled, and he says, turn, and one tries to turn, the other one doesn't, he starts beating them and whipping them and shouting and, and his assistants start shoving the ox. And then when he says back, they want to take a step forward, it's a mess. Those teams don't last very long in the pool. But the ones that last, the ones that really win the prize, are the ones who are absolutely obedient, not to the shouting voice of the drover, but to the voice that does speak loudly. What an illustration I think it is for us as we come under the yoke of Jesus Christ. It is important 
my brother and my sister, to understand it is a yoke. And the authority of the master over us must be absolute. And though I do wish that more and more of those who call themselves Christians, even church leaders, could come to understand that. It is not our business to determine what the church is to be like, but it is the master who owns us and whose yoke we bear. I hesitate to tell this story, but I can't think of anything to illustrate this point better than this story. In 1957, after having spent four and a half years as minister of Saltaire Church of Christ in Ohio, uh, we moved to a German, French-German community, Mallorystown, Ohio, and we became the minister of two churches, Mallorystown Church of Christ and Union Church of Christ. Now, north of the Ohio River, Christian churches are called Church of Christ. It's not the same as Church of Christ here. And so we had those two charges. I preached at one at 9.30, and then I would drive and preach at the other one at 10.30. While I was preaching at this one, that one had Sunday school. And every week they flip-flopped. And I'd have nightmares on Saturday night dreaming I went to the wrong one first. It was <laughs> quite an interesting situation. When I went there, I became very much involved in the community. I joined the Lions Club and became involved with the businessmen. I joined the Grange and became involved with all of the farmers. We had a community quartet. I sang in that quartet. We sang in competitions at the State Fair at uh, Columbus, Ohio. There was not anything for the young people to do in the summer, so the Presbyterian minister and I rebuilt an old ball field. I climbed the poles and fixed the lights, and we started softball tournaments. And night after night, people from all over the county came and played softball. I coached a boys' team. I coached a women's team. I coached and played on a men's team. I also started driving a school bus part-time and got acquainted with the kids. Uh, I was totally involved in the community in every way I could. The churches began to grow. The baptistry was busy. <laughs> and one of the things that was most exciting was, well, we had a, a youth group. I drove a, a, a bus around and picked up kids in the afternoon. Two churches came together had a youth group of about 40. The young people were on fire for Jesus. They began evangelizing in their high school. Not only that, they began talking about New Testament Christianity. And the United Brethren, the Presbyterians, the Methodist kids, they didn't know what to do about it. And so, I'll not say which denomination, but one particular minister, so upset, called me one day and he said, I want to ask you to come to a public meeting. And we're going to invite everybody in the, in the village, in the town. It's going to be held in my church building and I want you to get up and talk about New Testament Christianity. Now, I knew it was a setup, but I said, okay. And so we went to this meeting, and he had all kinds of people programmed to ask me trick questions, and it was very obvious. For instance, one thing, I was very much upset by the behavior at the school dances. I began to talk against him, and in the meeting, one young man said, why are you so opposed to the school dances? And I said, well, late yesterday, when I was driving the school bus, a young man sitting behind me said, I can hardly wait for the dance because I love to get up next to those girls' bellies. And the young man who had asked the question was the one who had said that. He didn't ask any more questions. 
But finally, they said, all right, what about this matter of immersion? So I began explaining the meaning of the Greek word and going through the New Testament. And finally, this minister jumped up and said, the meeting is stopping right now. We know the oldest symbol of John the Baptist is a conch shell. We're going to have refreshments. And so we went downstairs to the basement, (laughs) and he wouldn't quit. Why are you so adamant about immersion? And the reply I gave to him then is my heart still today. When my Lord Jesus Christ, who not only is God, but who died upon the cross, speaks the slightest wish, it is my heart to do that and nothing else. Who am I? Tell God to get off his throne and to take his place and offer a substitute for something that he has clearly commanded. You see, I'm under his yoke. I have no other option unless I want to be disobedient. It, it grieves my heart to see today we're in an era in which people really don't have what God wants the church to be. Most churches today are defined by what kind of music they have, and so people like this musical style, and they like that musical style, but there's little concern for truth. The song Michaela sang today, the, the, the father, the mother singing to the child, but as long as you're walking in the truth, one line. What a line. We're under a yoke. And then he said, learn of me. I could tell you many more stories about that situation, but I think I won't. Learning of Jesus begins when we take his yoke upon us. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Now, Notice the verse before, Matthew eleven twenty seven. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. Nor does anyone know the Father except the Son. And anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. And that begins when we put on the yoke. Again, referencing a sermon preached some time ago, we pointed out that there are different Greek terms in the New Testament that describe knowing God. Most common is gnosko, which speaks of experiential knowledge. Another word is oida, which means knowing the identity. You know, today they talk about people, oh, they're such a spiritual person. So what? (laughs) Who's the God? Who is the spirit with whom they are spiritual? Oida, you know who it is. It's not just some spirit. But there's another word, epignosco. The noun form is epignosis. This means to truly know. To truly know. To know accurately. To know fully to truly know. 
it really encompasses both of the other words. <laughs> to know experience, and to know for certainty, and to know thoroughly. That's the sense of that word. Let me point out a scripture that I think really illustrates it well. 1 Corinthians 13, 12. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, gnosko, but then I shall know fully, epignosko. <laughs> you see, now I know in part, but then I'll know fully. And it's that second word, then I'll know fully. Romans 10, 12, I bear them witness they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance to epignosko. They have a zeal for God, but they don't truly know him. That's what Paul is talking about. Philippians 1.9, this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge, epignosco, or this is the uh, noun, epignosis, and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless, until the day of Christ. How can I begin developing epignosis? How can I begin developing epignosco toward Christ? The way you begin is put on the yoke. <laughs> Acknowledge who he is. Total master, total Lord, the one to whom we give full, complete, and total obedience. Sometimes at the sandwich fair, you'll see a, a, a yoke of oxen in the competition, and the drover that is leading them is not their drover. Often it's a young person who is learning to be a drover, and so a drover who has a well-trained team will let someone who's maybe 18 or 19 years old who's just learning and wants to be in the competition to borrow his team. Team doesn't do well because it isn't hearing the right voice. <laughs> the command, but the wrong timber, no voice. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they shall hear my voice. And they shall become one flock with one shepherd. Oh, it's so important for us to learn the voice of the Master, especially in those areas where scripture is not clear. Jesus said, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, and second, to love your neighbor as yourself. But how does that work out? How does one obey, love your neighbor? What does that mean? I don't know about you, but for me, when I stop at a red light, something. Don't you wish you could do that? <laughs> <laughs> Takes years of skill and a 
college degree. <laughs> but seeing somebody walk across, and, and here you see a couple, a man, a woman, sometimes a child, and it's obvious that they're needy people. It's obvious they're needy people. And your heart reaches out, and you wonder, what should I do? Always pray. But should I jump out of the car and hand them a dollar bill? feel like it sometimes, don't you? You walk anywhere in this area and you see needy people. What do we do? And I don't know about you, I'm probably the same as it is with me every week and sometimes it seems every day you receive in the mail some kind of a very worthy ministry. <laughs> Helping the poor, feeding the folks in Haiti, whatever. And you wish you had a bunch of money to send to them. <laughs> you see, it's important that we know our master's voice as to how to fulfill the command to love our neighbor as ourselves. There are times the Lord would say, reach in your pocket, empty your billfold. Rarely. There are other times he says, that one isn't for you. Leave it to someone else. It's so important that we learn to hear the master's voice. We learn these things, of course, by experience, don't we? Hebrews 5, 17, solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil, and he is uh, chastising the Hebrews because although they've been Christians for a long time, they have not grown in that skill. Put on the yoke. When he says walk, walk. When he says stop, stop. When he says pull, pull. When he says back, back. And as we begin intensely listening to the voice of the Spirit, we learn to discern and recognize that voice from all others that would speak to our ears. You know, the matter of discernment is so important. We learn that by experience, by hearing the Master's voice. We're in a day right now in which discernment, I think, is needed perhaps to a greater degree than it's ever been in church history because of all of the spiritual winds that are blowing with force in the environment in which we live. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am humble, I am meek, I am lowly. Isn't that a beautiful thing to think about? The God of the universe is gentle. The God of the universe is gentle. Now, it doesn't mean that when we find rest for our souls that life becomes a bed of roses. It doesn't. Those who are under the yoke will suffer the same vicissitudes of life as those who aren't. Everybody gets old. Everybody knows what it's like to be sick. Both those under the yoke and those don't experience 
the problems when there's a downturn in an economy. The book of Habakkuk addresses that. Everything's going wrong, and Habakkuk says, okay, even there's no cattle in the stall, and you know the verse. You see, those under the yoke and those don't have the same kinds of experiences. Mistreatment by cruel employers, sometimes those under the yoke greater than that because they resent the ethic that you display rather than that which they display. Struggles to make ends meet. What's the difference? 1 Peter 5, 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time. And then this beautiful exhortation, casting all your anxiety upon him because he cares for you. Oh, my. (laughs) You know, one of the problems we face is, in many ways, we do try to become God. We assume responsibility for results. We try to make things happen. Our job is to faithfully plant, to faithfully water, to faithfully plod, and let God do with it as he chooses. Let me talk about faithful plotters for just a moment. Church in which I grew up, there was an old woman named Mrs. Everly. Mrs. Everly taught the third grade class in Sunday morning Bible school. And no one who ever attended Mrs. Everly's class could ever forget it. She had a sand table. It was a large table with curbs on the side full of sand. And each week she went down to the classroom, wet the sand, and she built little mounds, little rivers. She had little houses. Out of matchsticks she made little people and covered them with cotton and put on clothes. And every Sunday... 52 Sundays, students week after week went through the Bible all the way through as Mrs. Everly acted out the Bible story on that sand table. Many preachers came out of my home church in the same two or three years on either side of me And I know, if you ask any of them, they would all tell you about Mrs. Everly. Who knows Mrs. Everly? He does. Sunday after Sunday, that faithful plotter without any fanfare taught boys and girls the Bible. Don't we have some like that here? Boy, we sure do. There's one. (laughs) We sure do. Faithful plotters. There's a place for racehorses. They entertain. But oxen get the work done. Faithful plotters in the kingdom of God. Matthew 23, 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You tithe mint, dill, cumin. 
But you have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice, mercy, faithfulness. These are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek, I'm gentle, I'm lowly. You need to be the same way. <laughs> you need to be the same way. The Master really determines our life. Some of us will enjoy great health until the day we die, and some won't. And sometimes those who don't enjoy great health and vigor as the years go by and they're able to do less and less of what they formerly do, start feeling like, well, I'm useless, I'm worthless, I'm no longer doing anything in the kingdom of God. But that isn't so. Well, that's the circumstance of life that God has either allowed or ordained for you. And in that situation, be faithful and pray and rejoice for the relationship that you have with the Lord Jesus Christ. Milton, the poet, essayist, was blind. And he struggled with his blindness. For he thought, I can't ride horses and preach. I really can't do much for God. One day he wrote a sonnet about his blindness. And he talked about the king. He said the king sends this messenger there and he rushes here and that one rushes there. But I live in darkness. Surely he doesn't demand of me what he demands of the others. And he speaks of those serpents that fly in obedience here and there. Then the last line is this. They also serve who only stand and wait. Isn't that beautiful? Before every king there will be those servants that he dispatches here and there. But there are others who like some golden adornment to the room, respectfully stand before the king. And there are some of you in this church today that are in that place. You need to understand that you are not less valuable. You are not a failure. The king is pleased with your faithfulness as you stand and wait. We never walk alone, do we? We never walk alone. A couple, three weeks ago, I visited the cemetery. So I left Barbara's grave driving down 71st Street back home. And you know what 71st Street's like around Woodland Hills Mall. Cars and rushing and all of this. And I looked and thought, these people have no idea what it's all about. 
trying to make things happen, racing here and yon, trying to carry burdens God never intended for them to carry, casting all your care upon him, your anxiety upon him, because he cares for you. And I wished some way I could have shouted in their ears, stop and listen to me. Cast your care upon him. Do you know the gravesite I've just left? That really is what it's all about. <laughs> ah, yes, the journey's important, but the destination, that's what it's all about. This morning I want us just to take a few moments and reflect upon what we've said. Listen to this song. Cast all your care, your anxiety upon him. Take his yoke upon you and learn of him. <laughs> 